Europe acknowledges the traditional owners of the land this podcast was recorded on. The Bunurong, Bunurang, and Wurangi Wodurang peoples of the Eastern Kulin Nation. We pay our respect to their elders past, present, and emerging, and extend this to all First Nations people. Globally, today we are faced with the most complex sustainable development challenges in history. So how do we solve these challenges? One thing's for sure, we can't do it alone. Welcome to Arup's new podcast, Sustainable Forces. It's a podcast about people joining forces to help solve the most complex sustainable development challenges. My name is Dr. Michelle Dickinson. I'm an engineer, nanotechnologist, and science communicator, and I am on a mission to uncover how people are working together to positively impact the planet. Today, we are tackling a big topic, decarbonizing the built environment. Decarbonization is the process of reducing the amount of carbon, mainly carbon dioxide, sent into the atmosphere. It's going to require different approaches when it comes to new and existing buildings, as we think about the emissions associated with the extraction and production of building materials, the emissions associated with building activities such as heating, ventilation, lighting, and computers, as well as the emissions associated with end-of-life demolition activities. The building industry accounts for almost 40% of all global carbon emissions worldwide. Decarbonizing buildings is going to require huge changes to our houses, offices, and our schools, as well as huge changes to the way that we live in them. To meet the Paris Agreement, every building on the planet must be net zero carbon by 2050. But to make these targets, we are going to need strong leadership from the top to change how we think about our buildings today. In this podcast episode, we are going to discuss how collectively we can take action to make the changes that the building industry needs. To help, I'm joined by Rory Martin, Sustainability Manager for Fraser's Property Australia, who's based in Melbourne, and Karen Coker, Australasia Co-Chair Arup. She's joining us today from Sydney, Australia. So Rory leads the sustainability team at Fraser's Property Australia, and his industry experience also spans across Europe, Asia, and North America. As a registered architect, Rory is well known in the industry as an award-winning leader, passionate about design and sustainability. Today, we're going to be digging into Rory's expertise around climate risk and resilience when it comes to the property industry. Welcome, Rory. Hey, Michelle. Thanks for having me. And we're going to also talk to Karen. Karen is the co-chair of Arup in Australasia and committed to help shape and create more resilient livable spaces. As a facade engineer, Karen has led multidisciplinary teams on complex projects, including Key Quarter Tower in Sydney and New Acton Nishi in Canberra. Today, we're going to be digging into Karen's knowledge of strategic leadership when it comes to building with sustainable goals. Hi, Karen. Hi, Michelle. It's great to be here. Thank you both for joining me. So I'm going to pick both of your brains, but Rory, I'm going to start with you. You currently lead the sustainability team at Fraser's Property Australia. Can you tell me a little bit more about that role and, and what exactly that you do? Sure. Um, so yeah, what I guess what my role is about is really helping the business to achieve its sustainability goals. So 
our, myself and my team, we're focused on building capacity and helping guide teams towards, you know, really lofty um, ambitions such as net zero carbon, right through to managing climate risk and other things that are emerging now, like biodiversity. So really what we've focused on is finding the best partners in the industry that will help us then then to do that as well. So we've we've had to go quite deep on, you know, processes around investment through to governance, but then also understanding how the rubber hits the road when these projects and buildings start to come out of the ground as well. Fascinating. Okay, we're going to come back to that in a second. But Karen, I want to pick your brains a little bit too. You are co-chair of Arab in Australasia and a facade engineer by training. I've only just learned what one of those is. So what does your role involve day to day? Yeah, look, uh, my co-chair, Kate West and I are responsible for the success really of our business in the region. And that spans across 3000 people uh, across, you know, Australia, New Zealand, Singapore, Malaysia and Indonesia. So I guess day to day, this involves really guiding our business to deliver on our strategy of which sustainable development is central. Uh, it's oversight of the financial performance of the business. It's actively engaging with our clients and in our local markets and ensuring that we create an environment where our people can really thrive. So I must say, Michelle, not so much facade engineering these days, uh, but certainly lots of collaboration with our people, our clients and in our broader industry. Amazing. And that's okay. We're always an engineer by heart. Now, Rory, you've been working in this sustainability space for over a decade, and you must have seen a lot of changes during your time. Can you help us understand some of the challenges that we're facing today and why decarbonization in the property industry is essential? A bit of a reality check there, hearing that I've been around for over a decade now. Um, look, what's what's really fascinating about this space is I think for a long time we've known how to design buildings that can be net zero carbon. You know, our, the the technical, you know, brilliance of of you know designers and engineers to, has been around for quite a while. What I've seen shift dramatically is the way that we are able to engage people, and it's gone from you know being you know a movement about you know this is the right thing to do to being this is something we have to do and also the fact that we've seen you know financial markets move now as well we've started to see that you know all the levers are being pulled from the top down which before this was very much a bottom up movement you know people did it because they were passionate they believed in it you know it aligned with their values now it's starting to make good business sense so that's probably been the most dramatic change i've seen in the past decade um i still think though a lot of challenges exist around how we position this really intangible topic in ways that are meaningful to different people. So if you're talking to an investor, what's going to interest them or motivate them is going to be very different to someone who's buying their first home. At the end of the day, though, they're both invested in this topic and they need to understand why, you know, it's, you know, a zero carbon home or a zero carbon investment is going to be the right outcome for them. Mm. And talking about levers being pulled from the top down, Karen, that's you. You are the top down. You're currently leading the strategic decisions for Arup, including your sustainable development strategy. How do you include decarbonisation in some of these big decisions? Yeah, thanks, Michelle. Look, decarbonisation for us is really grounded in our global strategy. And, and to Rory's point, I think it really is now shifting from nice to have to must do and being driven from the top down. So, you know, in 2019, we are committed to meaningfully contributing to the UN Sustainable Development Goals and formed our sustainability strategy called A Better Way to really further our goal of shaping a more sustainable world. 
So our global strategy really places sustainable development front and centre, informing absolutely everything that we do and, and how we do it. So in terms of decarbonisation, we've committed to undertaking whole life cycle carbon assessment for all of our buildings projects, new and retrofit, from this month. Because actually it's estimated that less than 1% of building projects are currently evaluated in a way that quantifies the scale and source of carbon emissions generated during their lifespan. So really this step is essential if we want to get the most effective decarbonisation actions understood and identified. So, you know, we're going to be performing this high level whole life cycle carbon assessment on every building project where we have a significant uh, design and consultancy scope. And our focus will really be on amassing that practical and useful data to help the acceleration of decarbonisation of buildings. And we're going to share that information with our clients and with the broader industry to help drive that step change. I think the other component is, you know, while certainly we're going to have by far and away the greatest impacts through the projects that we design and deliver, it's also important that we walk the talk. So as a business, we're committed to reducing our own carbon footprint emissions um, and we've developed a target in line with science-based uh, targets, which commits us to absolute reduction of 30% in our own emissions by 2025. So that's an important part of the story as well, Michelle. So interesting and, and such big topics. And, and you did talk about amassing practical, useful data. And I'm a data nerd, so I love this. And it's easy to talk about these big strategies, but it's sometimes hard to know what it means in practice and have some tangibles. So Rory, talking about data, I know you've been working on a passive house. Can you tell us a little bit more about this project, please? Sure. So Passive House is, a, I guess, a building practice or methodology that emerged um, out of Germany and Austria there probably about 30 years ago. Um, it's gotten great traction in, in, in Europe and to a lesser degree in North America, but it's still relatively new to the, you know, the Asia-Pacific market. So I guess what we've been very interested in at, at Fraser's, you know, over our, our sustainability journey, particularly in the residential market, which is a really tough nut to crack when it comes to, to zero carbon. You look at your your tier one, you know, premium office and retail, you know, a lot of them are all over this because they're leaders and rightly so. Whereas when you get into the volume build housing market, it's it's a lot harder. It's it's very price sensitive. Um, you know, people are just barely getting together enough money to buy their their first home, if that. But look at the sheer volume of homes being produced, you know, across Australia, across New Zealand and, and Asia as well. So this is actually what personally attracted me to this part of the industry is that if you really want to make a big difference, you've got to go big. And that means going big even at, at the entry level. So kind of fasting for, fast forward now to um, to the Passive House. Passive House is actually one of a number of experiments we've conducted over the, probably the past five to 10 years in Fraser's in the residential market. Uh, we've trialed geothermal ground source heating and cooling in Fairwater, New South Wales, and we're building over 50 zero energy homes in Ed Square. Passive House is another part of this. So Passive House aims to minimize the amount of heating and cooling that a home will need throughout the year through you know, appropriately designed uh, walls, windows, um, also sealing the building so that um, all its ventilation is managed through a heat recovery ventilation unit. And all that results in a home basically or a building with very low um, energy needs. So what we're doing is that we, with these experiments, we're also building standard homes to today's building code and we're installing monitors within those homes as well. 
So we're starting to build quite a broad data set of how these different homes undertaking these different um, experiments perform in the real world. And we're also then able to compare the results of those homes back to you know standard build. So in the next year or two, what we're going to start to see is we're going to start to see the results tell us, well, in this climate zone or with this type of person living at home, this is the best bang for buck. This is the best technology because all due credit and respect to everybody out there, everyone's got a silver bullet for this challenge, but we know there's no such thing. And it's going to take a mix of strategies. So we're actually very, very fortunate that we've got you know in-house development teams willing to go and try these new initiatives. And we don't do it on our own. Like we have a whole suite of, you know, collaborators and funders and partners as well that have made this happen. That's great. And we will come back to collaboration in a second. Now, this passive house is a new build. um, And when we're thinking about decarbonisation, it's not just about new builds. We've also got to think about what we're doing with the current property sector. And uh, Karen, I know that you have a particular interest in retrofit projects. So can you tell us a little bit more about this and what the opportunities are for the property industry? Yeah, sure, Michelle. Look, I I do think, um, you know, obviously doing new build better, better is essential. But I think one of the biggest opportunities we have is really decarbonising through the maintenance and relifing of our existing building stock. And some might actually challenge that the only sustainable building is possibly an existing one. Uh, so, you know, I think the benefits of asset renewal, you know, really extend also beyond decarbonisation. They also, you know, reduce waste. They often save, save time and cost. And they can really contribute to creating a vibrant and characterful place for our people in our cities. So, you know, we've got a number of um, really exciting project examples locally where we've relifed existing assets. So, they, you know, they include the Greenland Centre completed in 2021 in Sydney. And that's a 27-storey 1960s heritage-listed uh, building. It was the old Sydney Waterboard Building, and that was transformed into a 67-storey residential um, and creative hub precinct. And that reused 2,000 tonnes of steel and saved 5,000 tonnes of in- embodied carbon. Um, another one that's really hitting the skyline of Sydney right now and is, is about to be completed is Key Quarter Tower um, in Sydney. And it's a 200 metre high um, tower, Key Quarter Tower, located just in the Sydney um, foreshore there. And that project reuses two-thirds of an existing building core and actually grafts on a newly constructed floor into the existing slabs to double the lettable area of the building. The original building, you know, completed back in 1976 and it needed a significant upgrade to meet, you know, the modern market demands, but it incorporates 68% of the existing structure. You know, it has a high-performance facade, climate-friendly cooling system uh, and robust technological solutions um, and so really that is a fantastic example where, you know, we're maintaining existing, um, significant parts of the existing building, but creating, you know, a really market leading new commercial asset in Sydney. I think from the, you know, from global perspective as well, there's some great examples globally of relifing existing assets. And one of those, so one Triton in London, uh, the client there was British land. Uh, we did full engineering and design and architecture services there and, we actually did the original building design back in the 1990s and 20 years later we were asked back to refurbish that building, you know, to again reflect the modern needs of our commercial spaces. You know, so in terms of um, materials that have been retained, you know, over 3,000 square metres of limestone, about 35,000 tonnes of concrete, and, you know, that all accounted for a 45% in total carbon saving. 
So we're there, we've created an extra three floors, you know, doubled the net office area and achieved a BREAM outstanding sustainability rating. We retained and upgraded the existing facades and retained a superstructure. So it just gives you a sense, you know, of the significant environmental, you know, benefits that can be um, really brought to life through, you know, re-life um, of our existing asset um, portfolios. And the importance of measuring some of these um, carbon offsets that I don't think we used to measure before. Now, look, I know that um, Rory before mentioned about, you know, you can't do this alone and you've got to work together in multidisciplinary teams. And also that both Arup and Fraser's have been working together for many years now. So can you both talk a little bit about how this collaboration has helped both of you with your individual goals? Um, Rory, I'll start with you. Sure. Um, and as you rightly say, you know, it, it comes back down to these collaborations and having long collaborations as well, because you'll only do this together and we learn through doing so. You know, I've been at Phrasenet for almost six years, but the Arab relationship goes way back. And, you know, if I, I point to one gift that keeps on giving, it's, it's Central Park in, in Sydney. And that has, you know, uh, taught us so much in Fraser's about what's possible, particularly when we look at these complex, you know, urban regeneration, uh, mixed use developments. You know, we've we learned all about um, building certifications in, uh, in, in undertaking um, that project. We also learned a hell of a lot about, you know, centralized systems such as embedded networks where all the energy gets managed behind a meter and allows you then to go and procure renewable energy at scale. That's actually um, led to Fraser's establishing its own embedded network business where we now retail 100% carbon neutral power to our customers in our in our shopping centers and in our commercial and, and, re- and uh, residential developments. So, we wouldn't be able to do that today if we didn't have those strong relationships where we learn together through doing. So I think that that's what sets us up. And again, I, t- I touched on some of these pilots we have going at the moment. We're collaborating with government, we're collaborating with academics, and we're collaborating with the best minds in the consulting world. And I have to commend Arup as well on not only committing to undertaking life cycle assessments, but sharing those lessons. Because that's actually what, in my view, what true leadership is. It's, you know, a lot of companies can go out and plow a lot of money into a, you know, a flagship building, but it's actually how you share the lessons after that that really sets the leaders apart. And um, that's something that, you know, I think where we're very well aligned because equally we want to share the lessons from our passive house, share the lessons from, you know, the Burwood Brickworks, you know, the world's most sustainable retail center. So I think that's the, that's, I guess, the meat really that sets up these collaborations to keep on giving and then inspire others in the industry. Mm, I love it. And I guess also being open cross industry to share not only the successes, but maybe what isn't working so successfully. Um, oh, 100%. Karen, what about you? Have you had the same mutual benefits? Have you had any other goals achieved thanks to this collaboration? Yeah, look, absolutely. And, and no thanks for the call out, Rory. I think, um, you know, as, as Rory says, we do have a, a long and really successful working relationship with Fraser's. And Fraser's is one of those clients and partners who we really actively seek out with those shared market leading aspirations um, in terms of sustainable development, really pushing pushing the dial and looking to do better and more with each of the projects that we work on together. And Certainly Fraser's, you know, at One Central Park, um, you know, a really landmark development, um, relifing that part of Sydney um, is one of those examples. And 
Certainly, it was a beacon of what could be achieved in terms of sustainable urban design using, you know, energy analysis, um, tri-generation plant for low-carbon electricity, and the vertical gardens on the facade, which, you know, really supplement the cooling, which um, many people would recognise. Uh, we also have a long-standing relationship with Fraser's working on their existing asset portfolio in terms of inspection, maintenance and, um, and ongoing works, uh, which really speaks to the existing buildings that we were just talking about. And now we're actually about to commence a really strategic piece of work between Arup and Fraser's, working to better understand the carbon emissions, constraints and reduction opportunities associated with the civil works um, at three new um, precinct projects that Fraser's are looking at. So as, as Rory mentioned, that there is looking at the electricity network and how that can be decarbonised and really the remaining challenges around um, embodied carbon associated with the construction of those new assets. So it's exciting to be um, going on the journey of uh, working on that new collaboration together. Um, so look, I do think partnership is absolutely critical. No one of us is going to um, achieve anything um, near enough or quickly enough um, alone. And so it is really about doing this together. I love it. It's been so great hearing about great collaboration and, and working as a team and also such tangible examples. Um, many people listening in may still be on the start of this journey, though. It seems quite overwhelming. There's a lot of different things to take in. So do you have any advice to those of you in this industry that will help them maybe start this journey of reducing their carbon footprint and thinking about some of these sustainable factors? Rory, what are your top tips? Uh, we're very fortunate in, I think, this part of the industry, and, and this isn't coming from a point of naivety, this has just come from lived experience, that sustainability professionals, quote unquote, they love to share. You know, it's amazing how many times I've sat with, you know, people who you, you know, deem to be competitors, you know, large developers and property companies, and who openly share, you know, not just, you know, the wins, but also actually the lessons learned, as you rightly said earlier, Michelle, you know, um, so everyone's incredibly you know i found everyone in this part of the industry to be incredibly generous you know we're all trying to figure out really complex things like carbon pricing and offsets and and you know anyone who tells you they've got all the answers you know don't don't believe it for a second so what i encourage you is just just sit in listen learn if you hear something interesting reach out to that person and say i'd like to know more because it's amazing where this journey will tell you ours will take you you know and depending on where you play in the industry your carbon journey is going to be totally different so if you're playing in existing buildings it's going to be so different to if you're out you know designing a new house or you're working on a large urban regeneration so you know i'd say just kind of strap yourself in get excited start asking questions and um, and google 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 because there's so much that's open source that's out there Perfect. Thank you, Google. Karen, what are your top tips? <laughs> yeah, look, I, I think Rory's right. I think the industry is certainly making some great progress and it's been fantastic to see certainly the, pro the private um, sector in property leading the way. Uh, but, you know, look, I think as we started at the top, Michelle, there, there's still much to be done in the property sector, given we're such big contributors to carbon um, so look, I think just a couple of tips, and we've touched on many of these already. I think it is essential now for leaders to really set a bold strategy from the top, set out your decarbonisation agenda and your strategic aims, but then give your people and your partners the tools and freedom to really create change and generate their own new ways and new ideas to solve those, you know, those problems and to achieve those strategic um, aims. I think we've talked about as well, collaborations and partnerships, look, they're absolutely essential. So I think it is our time to be 
bold to share and to learn and to really challenge each other in a really open and generous way, as Rory described. Um, so really a call to everyone in our industry that, you know, we must lead and act in unison to really drive the sustainable future that we, we aspire to. I think um, it's it's looking for new ways, new innovative ways, new technologies, being um, bold and brave, um, open to trying new things. You know, that's from clean energy solutions to thinking about the carbon footprint associated with materials and our construction techniques, uh, designing for reuse and adaptability. And I think in that regard, you know, that kind of takes you down the path of circular economy and thinking about those principles, which is another important part to enabling decarbonisation, but also tackling broader sustainability challenges. Uh, to Rory's call out about, you know, get onto Google, we've actually just worked with the Ellen MacArthur Foundation on our recently released Circular Economy uh, Circular Buildings Toolkit, you know, and that's free. It's available online. It's a resource that anyone can access and it provides guidance and real-life examples of how circular economy principles can be applied to building design and operations. So, look, I think, Michelle, probably my last call out, you know, decarbonisation has been the focus for today and it certainly is a real priority right now. Um, and, but, you know, going down this decarbonisation um, pathway is going to cause some disruption over the coming years. So in that process of transitioning to net zero, we do need to look also beyond decarbonisation to really ensure that we provide an equitable transition for everyone through this period of significant change while also considering the full breadth of sustainable development challenges. And, you know, they're presented to us across the breadth of the 17 UN Sustainable Development Goals. So we've got to always seek to balance, you know, these drivers and to really balance the needs of people, you know, places and the planet. I love it. And we could talk about this all day. Um, sadly, that is all we've got time for, though, on today's episode. Uh, hopefully that helps give you an insight into how we can start this decarbonization process and some of the things we need to think about, especially around making sure that we're collecting data and sharing data, that we're finding the right partners and how important collaboration is, and that we're all ready for some big change because we've got some big goals that we need to strive towards. I'd like to thank you all for listening in today and also thank you to Karen and Rory for all of your insights. If you want to learn more about what we discussed, you can access links to the projects discussed in our show notes. Stay tuned for our next episode in two weeks to explore resilience. Make sure you subscribe to Sustainable Forces on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite streaming service.